How do we learn more about our identity in Christ, and what's the purpose of it? We're going to talk about that today and a lot more on BibleStudyPodcasts.org, starting now. Very serious. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again. You're listening to BibleStudyPodcasts.org. Today is Tuesday, October the 5th of 2010. I am your host, as always, Toby Logsdon. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, we're going to be covering Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 5 in our lesson today. So go ahead and turn, if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 5. We're going to get started with that here in just a second. But real quick before we get started, uh, I wanted to tell you guys, uh, first of all, I'm sorry for not getting a Proverbs lesson out on uh, on Friday. I've got kind of a praise, I guess. Uh, I made it past the first round of applications with a church in Michigan. And uh, they sent me this uh, this survey, this questionnaire of about 15 pages worth of essay questions. And I didn't get a lot of sleep on Thursday night because I was busy on Thursday filling this thing out and uh, like all day long. And <laughs> and so uh, Thursday night, I did not get very much sleep at all. I just couldn't turn my brain off. There were some questions on there that just caused me to reflect and to, to think about things, you know, that I guess I hadn't thought about before. And uh, it was good. You know, it was, it was a good chance for me to learn more about that church, that specific church, but also a chance for me to learn more about myself. So anyway, um, you know, I finished it up. I finished up the application uh, questions and sent that off uh, last night. I finalized everything last night and sent it off. So we'll see what happens from here. Um, but uh, I guess more importantly, I wanted to bring something to your attention and, and really ask that you guys would be praying. Um, on Friday, I also found out uh, my wife works with a woman whose daughter has been so sick for about three weeks, three or four weeks, that they couldn't even test her to figure out what was wrong with her. Uh, that's how sick she was. They couldn't get in to take, I think they had to take bone marrow uh, or something like that, and they couldn't do it because she was so incredibly sick. So they kept an eye on her. They tried to nurse her back to health to some extent, and she just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And finally, on Friday, they were able to to get a window where they could do some testing. And they found out that this um, this 13-year-old girl has two very, very aggressive forms of leukemia. And uh, given the type of leukemia it is and how aggressive it is and how far it has progressed, she has about a 5% chance to survive the next two months. And um, so I, I, was, I was very burdened when, when I heard about that. Um, this woman and her family don't go to church. Uh, although they they do have a background of going to church, but um, she's she's a single mom. The the woman that works with my wife is a single mom, and she was working four jobs to make ends meet. And so you know, in in all that, um, you know, she stopped going to church. And so they didn't have a pastor. They don't have a church. And so immediately, uh, the burden w- was on my heart. I I, I knew uh, that I was supposed to go down there. And so yesterday, I. Uh, I went down there. I went down to Little Rock, and that's where they have her staying. That's where the only children's hospital in the state is. 
and uh, she is losing her hearing because her head is swollen. Uh, the The cancer is in her brain. It's in her spine. It's in her spleen. It's in her liver. Um, she's in very bad shape. And uh, you know, for my first uh, my first hospital visitation, my first pastoral care type of thing that that I've ever done. Um, you know, I've visited people in the hospital before, but I've never uh, visited somebody who was was dying. And to visit a little girl, a 13-year-old girl, who has a 5% chance, that's a 1 out of 20 chance of surviving, was difficult. And she was asking the tough questions. She's old enough and, and uh, intellectual. You know, she's got the intellectual ability to be asking the tough questions. Why is God letting this happen to me? And that's an area, you know, when, when somebody like that asks you a question like that, you know, that, that's not a time for philosophy or apologetics. Um, you know, she had had a spinal tap yesterday morning. They're trying to, to get this thing into her, uh, into her spine so that they can inject her with chemotherapy. And uh, so she was in an incredible amount of pain yesterday. The last thing she needed was some kind of drawn-out philosophical explanation for the problem of suffering and evil. And so my answer to her was basically, you know, I, I agree with you that this would be so unjust and so unfair if this life was all that you were created for. But Caitlin, that's her name, Caitlin, I, I want you to know, this is what I said to her, Caitlin, I want you to know that God didn't create you for this life only. This is only a flash. This is so fast. You were created to spend eternity in God's presence, and he made a way for you to get to him by putting your trust in Jesus. So, uh, she was in a lot of pain. I, I don't know how much she was able to process that I said. I, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know, uh, you know, because of her hearing, I don't know if she heard. Because of her pain, I don't know if she was able to process it. Uh, I don't know where she stands with the Lord. I mean, you know, we, we never understand uh, completely the way God does, where somebody stands with the Lord. But um, her name's Caitlin, and uh, you know I, I had a chance to pray with Caitlin, and I would ask you guys, all of you, please, will you pray for Caitlin? She's 13 years old, and she's probably not going to see her 14th birthday, and that breaks my heart. It really does. It's uh, it, that was hard to walk into, but um, I prayed with Caitlin. I prayed with and for her mom. Um, I accidentally, I, I mean. Honestly, I accidentally left a Bible down there, but uh, praise the Lord. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't do it on purpose, but, uh, you know, they might need that. So um, anyway, if you could be praying for Caitlin, that's the girl's name, and her mom's name is Amy. Uh, I would greatly appreciate that. But I know I've taken up quite a bit of time here. We've got a long lesson to cover today, so let's go ahead and get started with that with a word of prayer. I just wanted to give you guys a quick explanation for why we're doing uh, our Romans lesson on Tuesday, today being Tuesday, instead of Monday, and that's because of them. Anyway, let's pray. Father God, we just ask that you will speak to us today, that you'll teach us more about our place and the ways that you have gifted us. Give us a spirit of humility. Give us a teachable attitude today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in our previous lesson, we we looked at how important it is for us as followers of Jesus to have a proper perspective of our identity in Christ. You remember that last verse? Uh, Verse 3. 
And the reason that this is important is because what you think of yourself will affect your walk with the Lord, whether you intend for it to or not. If you think too highly of yourself, you'll try to fill roles in the body of Christ that you were not intended or designed to fill. And honestly, I have to kind of sadly confess that I've met far too many pastors who seem to be working outside of their gifting. It's far too common. They don't love what they're doing. They don't have a passion or a burden for what they're doing. And if I'm being brutally honest here, they leave a lot to be desired in terms of their performance. Now, don't get me wrong here. I'm not just trying to bash a whole bunch of pastors or anything because it's not always the fault of the pastor. In fact, I'd say it's usually not the fault of the pastor. More often than not, I'd say that the blame would fall squarely on the shoulders of the congregation or maybe even the elders who seem to be just content to treat church like it's a spectator event, where they get to sit back and watch while the pastor gets stretched and pulled as thin as he possibly can trying to perform up to expectations. And this is actually the most common church model we have in Western culture, unfortunately, although there are some loud voices out there which are, thankfully, pleading for change. And this is called the top-down model, where basically one man uh, is stretched to be responsible for everything. However, I've also met my share of pastors who are filling a role which they don't seem to be gifted for as a result of ego. So that's another reason that pastors are sometimes outside of their giftedness. And this is what happens when someone thinks too highly of themselves. And that's why Paul encouraged his readers not to think too highly of themselves. On the other hand, if you'll recall, Christ followers can also think too lowly of themselves, right? They can think too lowly. The result of that uh, is what I just mentioned. People treating church like it's a spectator event. They're like a, a third string quarterback who's more than happy to just sit on the sidelines and watch, but who will most likely never get any actual game time unless something goes seriously wrong. Now, have you guys ever heard of Kurt Warner? Uh, Kurt Warner is not only one of the most inspirational followers of Jesus that you could ever imagine, but he was also one of the greatest quarterbacks that the NFL, the National Football League here in America, has ever seen. But his story isn't typical. You see, there's a draft for the NFL where they draft the top players out of college into the National Football League, but he wasn't drafted. He wasn't drafted into the NFL. He was invited to try out for the Green Bay Packers, but he was competing for a spot against the likes of Brett who obviously went on to become a football legend, and Mark Brunell, who also had a long and prosperous career in the NFL. So Kurt Warner got cut uh, during tryouts, and he ended up stocking shelves at a grocery store for $5.50 per hour, but he didn't give up on his dream of being in the NFL. After some brief stints in the Arena Football League, uh, which is kind of like a minor league football, uh, and NFL Europe, which was, again, kind of a, a minor league type of thing for, for football. So after all of that, he finally got signed to the St. Louis Rams as their third string quarterback. Third string. The same place a Christ follower who thinks too lowly of themselves would feel comfortable. Now, the third string quarterback is almost a, a joke of a position. Seriously. I mean, I imagine that a lot of football fans could name at least half of the second string quarterbacks in the NFL, but try finding someone who can name more than five, just to give it a, a round number. Try finding somebody who can name more than five third string quarterbacks. See, it's not unusual for the third string quarterback to go years without being in a single play on the football field. But in 1999, Kurt Warner was promoted to second string quarterback. 
Well, that isn't a whole lot better, uh, especially when you're behind a big-name first-string quarterback. But obviously, Kurt Warner couldn't have become one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time if something didn't happen, and something happened. Trent Green, the big-name starting quarterback, was injured, and he was out for the season. So Kurt Warner took his place, and greatness ensued. Now, the point of all this isn't to give you a, a history of <laughs> of football. The point of all of this is to discourage each and every one of you from being comfortable, being nothing but a spectator, a third stringer in your walk with Jesus. At the same time, don't think so highly of yourself that you try to fill roles that you're not gifted for. And that's the point that Paul tried to make with verse 3. And of course, the reason he's talking about walking in our giftedness and recognizing our identity in Christ is because he encouraged his readers in the first two verses to what? To be a living sacrifice for God and to be transformed by the daily renewing of our minds rather than being conformed to the ways of the evil age we live in. But Now, the question might be, why? Why is it so vitally important that we have a proper view and a proper understanding of who we are in Christ? Why is our identity in Christ so important for us to understand? Well, Paul's going to answer that question. So he continues writing in the next two verses, Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 5. He writes, For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. So Paul starts to answer this question by telling us that we are many members of one body. And this is actually the same analogy that he gave to the church in Corinth when he wrote to them about using their spiritual gifts as well. See, they had the same question. Apparently, they struggled with the same issues, some of the same things that the church in Rome had to come to grips with. So Paul wrote to the Corinthians and told them, quote, Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That's from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4-7. through 7. And he goes on to tell them, But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free And we were all made to drink of one spirit, for the body is not one member, but many. That's from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 11 to 14. So we are similar to a body because why? Because we have many members who have different functions, right? Different functions in the one body. Now imagine if God had gifted everyone the exact same way. We'd be, you know, cookie cutter Christians who are all gifted for the same thing. Can you imagine how chaotic that would be? I mean, imagine a company which consisted of nothing but accountants, for example. Who would design the product? Who would do the marketing? Who would do the sales? Who would be able to do anything other than the accounting aspect of the business. The fact is, realistically speaking, this would be a company which was bound to fail because while a good company needs good accountants, for sure, they they definitely do, the company also needs engineers, 
marketers, salespeople, secretaries, and so on and so forth. And obviously, you know, the, the list doesn't end here. You know, if you had a company which consisted of nothing but accountants, it would be like opening a puzzle box and finding one puzzle piece reproduced 200 times. You know, you couldn't make anything with that. And the same is true of the church as a whole. If we were all gifted the same way, we'd fail. Because instead of complementing each other, instead of fitting together the way that pieces of a puzzle do, we'd be competing with each other. And that, my friends, would be a recipe for failure if there ever has been one. So Paul told both the Romans and the Corinthians that we all have different functions within the body. Now, what determines our function? What determines how we're gifted? Ultimately, it's the Holy Spirit. That's the answer that Paul gave the Corinthians. The Holy Spirit gifts followers of Jesus as he wills. He might give someone a gift in accordance with their personality, sure. You know, someone who's a strong leader prior to receiving and believing the gospel message will very likely uh, turn out to be a strong leader in the church as well. But sometimes, if not often, the Holy Spirit will also gift someone in a way that completely changes who they are for nothing else, so that he can demonstrate his power in them. The person who's completely focused on themselves can be turned around by being given the spirit of helping or the gift of intercessory prayer, praying for others. You know, we have to trust that the Holy Spirit sees us inside and out and knows us and knows our needs intimately. So he gifts us as he wills and he gifts us perfectly because he's perfect in all of his ways and he's all powerful which enables him to do that. He gifts us in a way which is designed to edify, to strengthen the body of believers, the church universal in Jesus as a whole. Now one would think that we as the body of believers would exist in perfect harmony in light of this truth, you know, given the fact that we're gifted in a way which is designed to to complement each other. And it doesn't take an understanding of the biblical languages. Uh, It doesn't take a PhD in, in theology to know that this is sadly not the case. We don't always exist in perfect harmony. Many of our local church bodies are filled with strife. So we see things like, you know, church splits. We see churches fire their pastors. We see factions rise up within a church to attempt to override or overpower people who don't see things the way that they do. Well, where do these tensions from within come from? Well, first of all, it is possible that it's caused by people in the church who aren't really followers of Christ. I don't mean to shock you here or anything, but did you know that there are counterfeits among us? There are people who claim to be followers of Christ, and yet they would only think so because either they didn't know what it means to follow Christ or because they're blatantly just intent on deceiving people. Jesus told his disciples the parable of the wheat and tares to warn them about this very issue. And if you understand the similarities between wheat and tares, it begins to make perfect sense. You see, on the surface, tares look very, very similar to wheat. However, they're actually a weed, W-E-E-D, not wheat, W-H-E-A-T. They don't produce anything useful. And so thus, for a farmer, tares are a problem because they take up space that would be more beneficial if filled with wheat. And what do you know? That's the same problem that counterfeit Christ followers present as well. They take up 
room which would be better spent with a legitimate Christ follower. More significantly, they don't produce anything useful for the body of Christ. They can't, and it's impossible for them to do so because, as Jesus told his followers, apart from him, it's impossible to do anything. But dissension also arises in the local church because believers are walking in the flesh and thus begin to think too highly of themselves. And the result is that one part of the body begins envying and attacking another part of the body. Now, Paul addressed this issue with the Corinthians a little bit more directly than he addressed it with the Romans, writing to the church in Corinth, quote, If the foot says, Because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, Because I am not an eye, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? End quote. That's from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 15 to 17. So in other words, if you think too highly of yourself, you might be a hand that wants to be an eye. So what do you do? Well, you might be prone to take out the eye. And friends, this is never what the body of Christ should look like. You know, one of the most painful things I've ever witnessed uh, happened when I was in college. I was doing an internship in behavior modification at the local psychiatric hospital and had been assigned to a group of young teenage boys, some of whom were autistic, some of whom were schizophrenic, and there were some other uh, mental disorders in there as well. But, um, you know, I'll never forget the thud on the ground when one of the boys got upset about something. I don't remember what it was, but he got really upset about something and he reacted to it by kneeling down and bashing his head on the ground. And I mean, it was within seconds. He had this huge mouse that formed under the skin on the side of his forehead. And before any of us who were in the room could get to him, he did it again in the same spot, breaking the skin on his forehead open and and just bleeding out all over the place. Uh, It was Honestly, it was traumatic for me. It was it was very disturbing for me, which is why I still remember it in such vivid detail. But what I found out after the fact is that this was something that he actually didn't want to do. His cries, he he was crying, you know, but his cries weren't as much a reaction to the pain that he was inflicting on himself as they were a reaction to his body attacking itself against his own will. Now, the principle here is that that's exactly what we, as followers of Christ, are doing when we think too highly of ourselves and thus try to fill a role that we weren't designed for. It's a picture of the body of Christ attacking itself, and it starts with the ego of one member, one part of the body. And that's why, that's why it's so incredibly important that we all have a correct understanding of our identity in Christ, of who we are in Christ, how the Spirit has gifted us, and what we have to do to use those giftings properly. So two things to remember here. First of all, as we've covered, we have to know where we fit in the body of Christ. But secondly, one of the points that Paul brings up here in verse 5 is to remain mindful of the fact that we need each other. We need each other. We're not cookie cutters, and praise the Lord for that. But without the feet, where would the hands go? Without the hands, even if the feet went somewhere, who would do the work? We have to learn to work together as the Spirit leads us and gifts us because we're ineffective as a body when we forget how much, how desperately we need each other because we're gifted differently. 
Now, before we bring this um, to a conclusion, I do want to talk about some ways that we can learn or discover how we're gifted. You know, if I were to just say, well, go out, discover your gifts, and learn to walk in them, and just leave it at that, it would kind of be like, you know, giving the most insightful book in the world to a blind person and then telling them to learn from it. So let me give you just a few quick tips on discovering your gifts, because you have to discover your gifts in order to grow in your gifts. So first of all, the first step is to figure out what you enjoy, not what would bring you prestige, but what would bring you pleasure. Identify what those things are. And as you pray, ask God, how can I use this to glorify you? And ask God while you're praying, ask him to reveal those things to you and to give your passions more clarity. Secondly, you absolutely must, you absolutely have to be active in a body of believers, a healthy local church. And that's the key word, healthy. You know, if you find yourself in a church where the pastor is egotistical, I can guarantee you he'll try to find a place where you fit uh, based on where he needs you. And you can guarantee that he won't teach you to do what he does. No, find a healthy local church where you can get involved and get to know other believers. You know, once they've had the chance to get to know you, ask them. How do they think you're gifted? Oftentimes, others will see areas that we're gifted in that we don't immediately see. You know, I was fortunate enough to have received the gospel and believed the gospel uh, at a very healthy church in Southern California. Once the senior pastor started to get to know me a little bit, uh, he started encouraging me to grow in the ways that he saw I was gifted. And that's one of the main reasons I'm doing what I'm doing today. So thank you for your spirit of gentleness and humility, Pastor Steve Larson. That was his name. Uh, Third, there are actually tests out there which ask you a series of questions which will reveal your areas of interest and giftedness. Now, there are tests that you can pay to take, and there are free ones available on the internet as well. Uh, But either way, I'd encourage you to take one. However, I should warn you that if you're not completely honest with the test, you can very easily skew the results. You know, if you're willing to be honest, uh, and if you really want to know what your areas of giftedness are, you can discover a lot about who you are in Christ by taking one of these spiritual gifts assessments. And in fact, uh, I'll be sure to post a link to a good example of one on the website for today's lesson. So if you want to find a spiritual gifts test, go to BibleStudyPodcasts.org and find the lesson for today from, uh, from Tuesday, October the 5th, and you'll find that link there. Go ahead and follow it. Take the test if you're interested in it, but one way or another, figure out who you are in Christ. Don't do it alone. Do it with people. Figure out who you are in Christ so that you can figure out where you fit into the body of Christ. That's what you were designed for, and that is how you will grow in your walk with the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you just so much for giving us the time to study your word. We thank you for uh, for sending the Holy Spirit to gift us as he wills. And I pray, Lord, that we would all come to a fuller understanding of who we are in Jesus because of what you've done, because of what you've gifted us to do, Lord. Help us to be teachable, help us to be humble, and help us to seek you in this process of discovering who we are in you. Lord, you didn't just give us gifts to sit on. You gave us these gifts to work with, to glorify you with. And so I pray that you will be directing our steps 
as we strive to glorify you in everything we do. Thank you so much for this lesson, Lord. Thank you so much for Paul's heart to, uh, to bring unity among the body. May we reflect that as well. We love you. Thank you so much for this time. I pray that you will preserve and protect this lesson for your own glory. In Jesus' name, amen. This message has been brought to you by BibleStudyPodcast.org. We are a listener-supported ministry. If this is your first time listening to us, we thank you so much for joining us, and we ask nothing further from you. But if this is a ministry that you rely on for regular spiritual teaching, we do depend on your financial support to keep us going and growing. If you'd like to make a donation to BibleStudyPodcast.org to keep us going and reaching thousands of people around the world, you can go to our website, BibleStudyPodcasts.org, and you can make a donation on the right-hand side by clicking on the support box. Again, we do rely on your support, and we thank you so much for your financial participation in this ministry, which enables us to continue in our mission of teaching timeless truths in these truthless times. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening today and keep growing closer to Jesus. Don't